Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind is proud to bring you a never-ending reel of ASCO episodes. Today we are talking about metastatic lung abstracts and posters and research that's going to redefine the next generation of EGFR treatments. Michael, let's take it away. Yes, redefine the next generation of EGR treatments or not, as the case may be. As Josh said, there is a theme going on with these abstracts and that they are all related to patients with lung cancer who have EGFR-sensitizing mutations. This is a major area of study. Obviously, ADORA was one of the plenary sessions that's coming in a later episode. But there is a lot of research into trying to get one over on the current champion, which is Ossimertinib. Will any of the studies presented today manage that? Spoiler alert, they won't. But it is good to see that we're not resting on our laurels because Ossimertinib, while it's a great drug, is not as good as we would like it to be. So the first study to talk about is Keynote 789. And this is a a very interesting study at the conceptual level because once a patient gets through their anti-EGFR treatments, there is a lot of debate as to what the next best treatment is. There are lots of studies that have demonstrated or examined various combinations of combining uh, other generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors with immunotherapy. That's been a bit of a non-starter because of the high rates of pneumonitis. Uh, Ipilimumab and nivolumab has demonstrated to be ineffective in small early studies. And so the current standard of care in many parts of the world is the Impower 150 regimen of atezolizumab, bevacizumab, carboplatin, and paclitaxel. This was as part of a small subset of patients in the original study as part of an exploratory analysis. But if you actually look at the numbers that fit the standard profile of these patients, there were only 22 of them. So only 22 patients who were in the Empower 150 study had a sensitizing EGFR mutation that had had previous treatment with a TKI. So we're dealing with very close to the definition of an evidence-free zone. So the question is, what do we do after someone progresses after their EGFR TKIs, which, as anyone who's used them will know, can actually happen quite quickly. So Keynote 789 is a phase three randomized control trial that is investigating the use of carbo or cisplatin plus pemetrexed plus either pembrolizumab or placebo in patients who have a sensitizing EGFR mutation, that's an exon 19 deletion, or an L858R mutation after progression of a first or second generation EGFR TKI. They could have had osimertinib failure as well if they had been started on a first generation TKI and developed a resistance mutation, the most common of which is T790M. There were 492 patients that were randomized one-to-one, and there was the option for a crossover from placebo to pembrolizumab at the time of progression. Demographics, fairly uninteresting stuff. They're balanced across both sides. Now, unfortunately, Keynote 789 is a negative study. So the progression-free survival, yes, there was a hazard ratio of 0.8, but this did not reach the study's 
cutoff for statistical significance at 0.0122, and the difference was 0.1 months. So one-tenth of a month, that's what, Josh, three days? Yes. Yeah, so we're talking about a difference of days. The overall survival was 16.9 months versus 14.7 months, hazard ratio of 0.84, but again, not statistically significant. If we're splitting hairs and you look at the curves, the Pembro arm does appear to do slightly better, but this is not borne out in the subgroup analysis or the statistics. The overall response rate was 29% versus 27%. The duration of response was 6.3 versus 5.6 months. It's all very similar. So in conclusion, unfortunately, we are still yet to identify the optimal treatment of someone post-EGFR TKI with these mutations. The discussion point did raise a number of interesting studies, and there has been a lot of work that's been done. But one study that I will highlight is the FLORA2 study, which is actually foregoing immunotherapy completely. I know that's that's almost a heretical thought in this day and age, but foregoing immunotherapy completely and actually combining chemotherapy with a TKI. There was a press release on the 15th of May this year that it has met the primary endpoint of PFS, but we don't know exactly by how much. So it will be interesting to see the results of that, but as of now, this post-EGFR TKI world is still a very tough nut to crack, Josh. Some would say we are yet to reach Everest when it comes to EGFR management. Still searching for that peak. Josh is on his pun mission again. What can I say? Being a new dad brings that out in me. So <laughs> today we are going to talk about Everest, which if you didn't realise from my pun, that that's the title of the trial which is Zorithertinib versus Elotinib slash Gefitinib, the earlier generations of EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitors. So the background, as Michael so eloquently discussed previously, over 50% of patients with EGFR lung cancer develop CNS metastases. There is a certain need for brain-active EGFR TKIs that cross that blood-brain barrier. Approved agents have a variable efficacy. And the question here is if Zorifertinib, which is specifically designed to have high blood-brain barrier penetration, it's the first randomized clinical trial to compare efficacy and safety of anti-EGFR agents in patients with untreated CNS metastases. Inclusion criteria included patients with confirmed EGFR mutations, MRI-confirmed CNS metastases, no prior first-line therapies, no prior brain radiotherapies, and no EGFR T790M, KRAS, or CMAT mutations. Only included EGFR mutations included L858R or exon 19 deletions. They are randomized to either the intervention drug or the old-school Jafitinib and Allotinib, not that old school, but old enough. And the primary endpoints include progression-free survival, intracranial and extracranial PFS, objective response rates, you know it, just like every other trial, overall response rates. Demographics were well-balanced. Results include a progression-free survival of 9.6 months versus 6.9 months, favoring Zorifertinib, with a hazard ratio of 0.719 and a statistical p-value. So that means it's about 28.1% more effective than the first and second generation EGFR 
TKIs. So the subgroups show there's benefit in both L858R more so than exon deletion 19 and patients with higher volume disease, which is an expected result. High volume disease generally respond better if it's an effective drug. Intracranial PFS by RANO-BM. Michael, what is RANO-BM? So RANO is the uh, effectively the resist for brain uh, metastases. We know that measuring brain metastases on CT is a little bit trickier than searching for residual disease in the rest of the body. We also know that MRIs have different windows, T1, T2, flare, DWI, and RANO uses all of those to get a more accurate assessment of brain metastases. In this study, they did include RESIST, but I figure that RANO tends to be a bit more accurate, and so we'll focus on those results. Wonderful. Intracranial progression-free survival were in by RANO, BM was 17.9 versus 11.1 months, and it was about 38% more effective than the standard of care. Well, not standard of care, but the control arm in this case. Objective response rate was 68 versus 58%, so 10% improvement. And duration of response was 8.2 versus 6.8 months, 20% more effective, although it was not statistically significant in this case, but trended towards. So objective response rate intracranially by RANO-BM was 75.6 versus 62.3. That's about a 13% more efficacious when it comes to intracranial mets. And the T790M mutation was the most common resistant mechanism. And osimertinib, as you may or may not know, is used to treat the T790M mutations as well. Back in the day, you had to check for it. These days, we don't as much. Toxicities most common was ALT and AST derangement, diarrhea, rash, higher rates of loss of appetite and loss of weight, elevated bilirubin, dermatitis, nail toxicities, hypokalemia, no lung disease or fibrosis with zorifertinib, and discontinuation was 7.3 versus 3.7%, so about double in the intervention drug, and dose modification in about 70% of patients. I think if you've got a dose modification in 70%, that's probably saying that those toxicities we mentioned are a little bit higher than they should be. In conclusion, this is the first pivotal study that has specifically examined intracranial metastases in the non-small cell lung cancer sphere with an EGFR mutation. We know there is good penetration of blood-brain barrier compared to first-generation TKI with this new drug, but there are significantly higher rates of toxicity. There's no overall survival data yet, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And first-line zorifertinib is superior to first-generation TKIs, inverted commas, because we need overall survival data. But the question that remains, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is like, this is not the standard of care. So you're not trialing it against the standard of care. So osimertinib would have been more efficacious. Could you sequence them? I've been saying this on every single every single podcast for ASCO. It's like, I want to know, will it still work after osimertinib? Because then I'm down to use this drug in the second line. And finally, what would you choose? Osimertinib is pretty well tolerated. You don't get 70% dose reduction. Well, not in my clinical experience. Maybe in Michael's you do, but these are kind of the questions you have to ask yourself. And at the moment, there's not enough compelling data for me to say, let's let's stick you on zorifertinib over osimertinib. 
that would be my summary in a nutshell. It is the main problem with this study is the control arm. I think that there was a thought that this is a uh, study, I believe, from mainland China, and osimertinib is not available everywhere in the world. So it may be a case of access that they weren't able to get their hands on enough osimertinib to use as a control. That is one explanation. But you're completely right, Josh. Jafitinib and allotinib are virtually extinct in clinical practice these days because you are doing your patients no favours by choosing jafitinib or or erlotinib over osimertinib because they're definitively worse. At this point, as you say, the data is still immature and there's definitely not enough to encourage us to choose zorifertinib over osimertinib. But it is nevertheless interesting that this is a drug that is specifically designed to have activity in the CNS because we know that that is a major cause of mortality and morbidity for lung cancer patients. So a very interesting study. But you might notice, if you're a particularly keen listener, that both of these previous studies have excluded a particular EGFR mutation, and that is the notorious middle child, the exon 20 mutation. This is a mutation that occurs in between 4 to 12% of cases, depending on who you ask, of non-smell cell lung cancer. And the exon 20 of the EGFR receptor is a very large genetic component and mutations are very heterogeneous with over a hundred mutations so far described. Exon 20 mutations are notoriously unresponsive and it puts us through as oncologists a bit of a a roller coaster of emotions. We see we're reading the report. We've got someone who looks like they're going to be an EGFR. We see the EGFR. We go fantastic. They're going to do so well. And then we see the subtype and we see exon 20 and we crash back down to earth because these mutations do not respond to osimertinib, zorifertinib, jafitinib, erlotinib, which is why they're routinely excluded from these trials. In some countries, Amivantamab, which is a bispecific antibody, is approved for the treatment of exon 20 EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. But this study, Wukong 6, was a single-arm phase 2 study looking at and I'm going to pronounce this completely terribly, sunvazertinib, or sunvazertinib, which is specifically designed to have efficacy against exon 20, though it, it does have efficacy against other EGFR mutations. Can we just highlight how great the trial name is? Wukong 6. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of a couple of Wukongs. We actually have one at the hospital where I'm working at the moment. And I think it's... It's pushing to be maybe maybe a keynote, maybe a checkmate, but there are a number of Wukongs. They're all lung studies and they're all looking at these sorts of drugs. Love I personally it. find it really I, I personally find it also really cool that we are looking at basically specific medications that are specifically targeted for a single purpose. And the fact that we have the ability to do that now is just mind boggling. So this is the Wukong 6 data was one of two single arm studies that were run in parallel. It is specifically the study that was focused in mainland China. The Wukong 1 study was conducted in the rest of the world. Now we know that EGFR mutations 
stereotypically are more present in people of Asian descent. And so it is not really surprising that China has enough patients with these mutations to run a study on their own compared to the rest of the world. So as mentioned, Wukong-6, a single-arm phase 2 trial examining the efficacy of sunvazertinib in patients with EGFR exon-20 mutations. As hinted before, these mutations don't respond to standard EGFR therapy, so these patients have progressed on at least one type of systemic therapy. Patients must have had at least one or no more than three lines of therapy, and at least one of these must be platinum-based chemo. The primary endpoint was overall response rate, with the secondary endpoints your usual cornucopia, duration of response, progression-free survival, disease control rate, overall survival, safety, tolerability, as well as pharmacokinetic data. The standard patient in this study was 58 years old, female, non-smoker who had had previous two lines of therapy. So your very, very standard textbook patient with EGFR mutant lung cancer. Important to note, 31% of patients had brain metastases at baseline. So again, they're not cherry-picking. They're not saying these are people who have very low-volume disease. Some of these patients, a significant proportion, have very, very serious pathology. In terms of results, now, again, single-arm, phase 2 study. So we need to take these with a grain of salt. But the confirmed overall response rate was 60.8%, with tumor shrinkage... And the difference, of course, is that a partial response in in clinical trial land is any response greater than 30% of the baseline measurements. So you can have tumour shrinkage without having a response, technically speaking, but you had tumour shrinkage in 90% of patients. The response was seen in patients with baseline brain mets and patients who had failed amuvantamab treatment previously. Anti-tumor efficacy was observed regardless of the exon 20 subtype and the insertion location in the actual exon itself. The benefit was observed in all pre-specified subgroups. The median duration of response was not reached. So if you think about it, these are second-line, at least second-line patients with a notoriously difficult-to-treat mutation, and we're not reaching the duration of response. The longest duration of response was more than 11.2 months, and the patient was still responding at the time of the trial closure. In terms of toxicity, of course, that is the flip side. The most common toxicity of any grade was diarrhea. A handful of patients also had an elevated creatinine level, so consistent with potential renal involvement. A rash was also involved. Grade 3 side effects, again, the elevated creatinine was an issue as well as anemia and diarrhea. However, the authors were at pains to mention that all elevated creatinine levels resolved after treatment interruption of three to five days. So in conclusion for Wukong 6, sunvazertinib demonstrated significant anti-tumor efficacy with a relatively relatively well-tolerated safety profile. It compares favorably in terms of overall response rate and toxicity to approved agents. But the important thing to note is that sunvazertinib is not the only exon 20 inhibitor in development. This is a space that is likely to explode. Sunvazertinib specifically, though, appeared to be more sparing of EGFR wild-type cells, which means less toxicity, specifically less diarrhea. 
There is a bit of uncertainty whether it actually affects resistance mechanisms, but preclinical data also suggests anti-T790M activity. So this might be a one-stop shop. There is currently a phase three study, Wukong 28, which is ongoing, comparing sunvazertinib with platinum-based chemotherapy in the first-line setting with that natural progression of a good drug. So this may be something that hits shelves around the world for this small but significant subgroup of patients and gives them a real benefit. But all we can do is wait and see. It would be nice. Precision medicine at our doorstep, Michael. The next five years are going to be a very exciting one in the oncology world. Completely agree. That wraps up metastatic lung cancer, nice and quick as we like to do it here on Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind. Now, we do appreciate with these episodes that we are cherry-picking studies, but fear not because if you head over to our website, that is inquisitiveonc.com, we will endeavour over the coming, it'll probably be months, let's be honest, Josh, to examine some of the studies that caught our interest, but potentially for reasons of time, did not necessarily get a look in on the podcast. So keep an eye on our newsreel. Again, that's inquisitiveonc.com, and we will keep that updated. But next time, the finish line is in sight. We have a double header with head and neck and melanoma cancers. So that's coming tomorrow, and we will finish up with the big one the plenary session, the podium finishes of ASCO. So we look forward to seeing you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind. You'll find previous episodes on our website, along with weekly posts, resources, and links to our Twitter and LinkedIn pages. Check it out at inquisitiveonk.com. That's inquisitiveonk.com.